Guys, if you have big, freaking audacious dreams and goals, but are just too petrified to take that first step because your foot is freaking stuck in the perfectionism trap, then this episode is for you. Okay, even better. Today's guest is here and breaking down how she finally woke the hell up and ditched her perfectionist ways that were shackling her from her dreams. You're committed to a certain way, but then you see your entire life failing around you. You have to wake up and say, this is not working. What else can you do instead? And that decision is what then leads to the action. And how that exact action, that exact action, took this 20-something-year-old Hispanic girl with zero experience working on the line in a restaurant to building a multi-million dollar brand that's been featured everywhere, from Wall Street Journal to the New York Times, as well as making deals and partnering with Martha Stewart and with Vans. And she's now author of her new book, Dream First, Details Later. And the key? Stop being like everyone else. So why walk in and try to be like Bill Gates or Simon Sinek? Like those are other people. Be you. What to do when the shit hits the fan? And I'm looking at basically nine year, eight and a half years of work, kind of feeling like it's being flushed down the toilet. And so how do you show up when things explode? How do you deal with it? Well, you just keep marching forward. So guys, please help me in welcoming the founder of Headley and Bennett and one of the most sweetest and charismatic people I've ever interviewed, the one of a kind Ellen Marie Bennett. Welcome to the show, girl. Thanks for having me, lady. I am so keen to have you here. And the reason why is I like to take all the things I think my audience ask about, struggle with, and then go, who's the perfect person to talk about this? And the one thing I get asked a lot about is about perfectionism. Mm. And the fact that the fear of something not being perfect is what keeps people stuck. And then they just spend years and years in this, like, um, this petrified space where they're so fearful of making a first step. And so I was like, when I heard your book, like (laughs) dream first, details later, and then I heard your story, I was like, we have to get you on because I think you can really touch on the notion of don't wait for perfectionism. Um, So talk to me about how you got started and the very fact that you didn't look for perfectionism is exactly what helped you to build this multi-million dollar company. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think I've always had dream first details that are in my blood. It's like an attitude, right? And so when I decided to write a book, I was like, I need something that I can give people that they can consume the attitude that by the time they put Mm -hmm. the book down, they're like, hell yes, I can do this. And for me, it's just like, I think back to when I was growing up, I, my parents got divorced when I was super, super little and the journey was very bumpy and it was sort of like things were perfect before. And then my whole life exploded when I was like nine parents divorced. And I decided I was just like, all right, well, this is my journey now. Am I just going to sit here and wait for them to figure this out? Cause this looks like a disaster or am I going to decide where I want to go? And you decided so, that at nine years at old. At nine years old. Whoa. Yes. Yes. A vivid re- recollections of this moment. And I just decided to start walking on the journey of life. And so this idea of dream first details later is we all go through those things. If you think for a second that anybody has no problems, that's not true. Mm. And so how do you show up when things explode? How do you deal with it? Well, you just keep marching forward. 
And so I've lived this idea my whole life of just, I don't know how to do something. Well, I'm going to show up and start asking questions. I've never lived in Mexico before. Okay, well, I'm going to move to Mexico and figure it out. And so when I turned 18, moved to Mexico, I lived there by myself for four years, went to culinary school, did all these different things in a very dream first details later manner. There was no plan. I didn't have money. I didn't have resources. There was no like roadmap for college while all of my friends from the U.S. were going to nice schools, buying a house, getting married. And I was off the deep end in Mexico, but actually I was just living life and learning along the way. And so I really believe that you learn life on the journey, not staring at it or thinking about it or imagining what it can become, but simply you want to do something, show up, start trying. And guess what? It's going to be a little bit painful along the way, but anything worth fighting for is a little painful along the way. I love that. Um, but now I really want to go deep in your own story. So take me back to you're on the line, you're a cook, um, and an opportunity arises. And this is yeah. really where I want to press. Opportunities arise, I think, in so many different ways in people's lives. Yep. So many. And here's the thing. We don't realize there's an opportunity because we're so fearful of taking that first step. Totally. Of the perfection. What? Do, who yep. am I to do this? What yep. do I know about this? And because of all those things, because of that negative voice that we're told, you have no idea yep. what you're doing. You don't deserve to be here. You don't right. belong here. All of those things is exactly what... Um, force people to not jump onto an opportunity when it totally. arises. So I want to go back to an opportunity arises for you while 99.99999% of people don't yeah. jump on it. Yeah. You jump on it and still have no idea what you're doing. Absolutely. So take me back to that very moment so that we can start to peel back yeah. how you reacted to it yeah. and then the knock-on effect and then really drill down the tips and tactics that you did yeah. in order to totally. keep freaking going. Totally. So... After my journey of living in Mexico, I had gone to school there, culinary school. I came back to the States and I walked into a restaurant, a two Michelin star restaurant, which in food land is basically the cream of the crop. And I walked in through the back door, asked for a job. I didn't have anybody that introduced me or anything. So again, a dream first details later moment. And I started working here. I was so shocked at how beautiful the food was that we were making. We were flying in thousand dollar fishes from Japan. And yet you'd look around the kitchen and the entire staff and team looked shitty. They looked crappy. They didn't feel good or look good. And the uniforms we were wearing were just terrible. They were like paper thin sheets that you tied on with a string and that was called an apron. And it was just an afterthought. And I wanted to make that better. So I thought all of this. And then a couple of weeks later, I had one of my chefs. He was like, hey, there's a girl. She's going to make us aprons. Would you like to buy one? And I was like... It felt as though a little plane or a ship was going by and I'm staring at it and it's called opportunity. I'm like, do I jump? Do I get on it? Should I do it? Should I not? I'm staring at it. I'm like, wait, do I do it? Yes. Okay. And I blurted out before I had even figured out what I was going to do. I was like, chef, I have an apron company. I will make you those aprons. And he's like, what are you talking about? You're a line cook in my kitchen. And I was like, yes, I am. But I know I, I've been working on this. I have a doing business as that's all I had. I had no sewers. I had no such business. And I convinced him on the spot in the middle of his kitchen to give me this order. And so out of the blue, I had an order of 40 aprons. I was 24 years old and I had no idea what I was doing. 
I clocked out and I started calling every person I knew. And I really focused on what I had and not what I didn't have. I didn't, I never sat there and wallowed in. I don't have investors. I don't have a business plan. Instead, I thought, what do I have? Well, I have the skill of a cook. So if I need something, maybe I can barter with other people. And so I bartered with someone to make me a pattern. And then I took that pattern and I bartered with someone else to make me the first sample. And then I took that sample to my chef and I was like, how does this look? What do you love? What do you hate? What should we fix? And I just kind of kept asking questions that put me from here to here to here. And I delivered the first apron, 40 aprons, on time. It was a damn near miracle. And then 24 hours later, he calls me into his office, Joseph Centeno, and he's like, Bennett, these aprons suck. And I literally almost died. I'm like, okay, this is my first cat customer. He's my chef. This is my job. And I just committed to something and somehow it already failed. And I haven't even begun, basically. And I said, chef, I will take half the aprons back. I'll fix the straps. There was something that was wrong with how they were working because, you know, in theory is one thing. <laughs> execution <laughs> is another thing. And when they were wearing them, they weren't adjusting correctly. So I was like, give me half keep the other half, I'll fix these, and I'll, then I'll do the same with the other half. So his team never had to go apronless. Mm. And to this day, the strap situation that we figured out is what we use now. But it was with a sort of gun to the head and this deadline and the pressure of getting it done that I actually figured it out. And it put me so far out of my comfort zone that I wasn't just thinking about it. I didn't have time to think. I had to act. Mm. And that's a beautiful thing when you're doing it versus thinking about it. Oh my God, okay, I didn't <laughs> want to interrupt you. So very first thing that you brush past, but to me is one of the most fundamental important things for somebody to actually take action. You even said, I went to the restaurant and I walked through the back door. Yes. Like, just stop it. I, I was like, I literally <laughs> wanted to like, stop it. Like that. Like, ah. So that's the thing, right? Yes. Where we are so worried about thinking about office, thinking yes. about the failures, thinking about, but who's going to let me in the door? Yes. Can I even go up and knock on the door? Like yes. all of these yes, things yes, yes. that we don't even think past that. It's like, well, hang on a minute. Instead of saying, can I knock on the door? Yeah. Really, it should be, how do I get myself inside? Yeah. Right. And that framing just immediately puts you in a doing, like yeah. you said, That's instead right. of a feeling. I honestly believe part of the fundamental thing of what's made you successful like that one little step line because it's yeah. a way of thinking. Yes. Yeah. So where people get stuck in procrastinating on can I knock on the door? You did. Yeah. Yep. So you go in, you you hear yeah. this opportunity. Yeah. Next thing, most people are just like, oh my God, I don't freaking know how to do it. <laughs> like, who am I to say that I've got right. a, a, an apron company? Now, in those moments, I actually understand why people would do that because they're like, well, you have no idea what you're doing. You're about to commit to something. Yeah but you're committing to something you could absolutely fail at. You have no freaking clue. You've got the audacity of you <laughs> to say the that audacity, right? But yeah. like, all of this is the internal dialogue that yeah. I always have with myself. And I think yeah. my audience really do have. Yeah. So we all have it, by the way, it's still in there. I just okay, ignore it even better. Yeah. So what are the steps you do to ignore it? Is it I know that my thoughts are going to overtake me, so yeah. blurt it out, because you even said, I just blurted it out. Yes, yes, I did. It, it was this kind of argument I was having in my head. Should I do this? Should I not do this? He's here telling me this thing. I thought about it three weeks ago. This has to be a sign. Like, I, did this just occur? No, it didn't just occur. You made this happen. Say something. <laughs> I'm like, ah, Jeff. And then it just came out. 
And he was so convinced by my conviction that he just said, okay, too. So next thing you knew, you had two people. By the way, he's a super dreamer, doer, and hustler himself. So appreciate the right audience. But he saw something in me. He saw a spark, which I think he has in his, his own right. And he's like, all right, fine. Let's give this girl an opportunity. And I, I really believe that we all have those sparks happen, but we sometimes ignore them mm. or we do something about them. Mm. So my, my challenge to everyone listening is like, next time you feel a spark or a fire or a adrenaline rush of a possibility, listen, listen to it and stop and think for a second, what if I do this? Okay, so what if you fail? Who cares? What if you don't fail? What if you try and you succeed? Aren't you more excited to see the possibility come and happen than, oh, well, I was a little too afraid, so I'm just gonna like let it go. No. So I really get that, but here's the tricky thing. So go for it, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. You may succeed, you yeah. may not fail, but you failed. The yeah. straps aren't working, your boss is mad at you, and you don't turn around and go, oh crap, all right, I, I, I'm yeah. sinking. I, you know, I just, yeah. I asked for too much. And then you let the negative, you literally immediately were like, yeah. all right, this is the plan. I'm going to yeah. fix them. This is, I didn't actually feel like it was a failure. I, wow. I felt like it was something I needed to fix. I was just like, okay, that didn't exactly land like I thought it would. Mm -hmm. So what can I do about it right now? Cause I don't want to let this go. I'm already in the door. Okay. So I'm already halfway there. It's similar to how I got this job at the restaurant. It's like, I got myself in the door when they gave me the job. It was after they told me they didn't have a job available. Hmm. I said, let me keep coming back for, and working for free. If I had just said, oh, you said no. Okay, now I better leave. I better exit myself out. But instead I said, what else can I do? Oh my God. Right? And so there's this like constant perseverance you have to have when you hit a no. A no is not a no. A no is like go left or go right but still keep going forward in some capacity. So when he said these aprons suck, they're not working, I didn't say, okay, well, I better go burn my building down. I better go burn down Headley and Bennett. I said, no, okay, well, what, what do I need to do to take responsibility for the fact that I made a product that didn't actually work right now and I'm going to fix it? Oh my God. Okay. So much there. I've got a quote for yours that I'm actually want. This is perfect. You said, a no can sometimes be a long-term yes if you don't immediately wave the white flag and give up. I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. So like literally things like that, I really do think in those moments where your emotions trying to take over, yes. right? You feel badly. You put yes. your heart into it. You thought it was going to work. Now your boss is mad at you. I'm always saying to myself, how do I overcome the emotion in that moment? Because the emotion yeah. feels real and I really totally. can't like get rid of the emotion. Yeah. So I love having tactical things like that, where it's just in those moments where you want to wave the white flag, just yeah. remember that the no can be a yes. And then you actually said something else, whereas he really believed in you because you were so passionate. Yeah. Talk to me about the absolute importance of believing in it, even if other people don't. Yeah. And I believe, is it humble enthusiasm you yes, call it? So yes. talk to me about, because again, that is one of those little pivotal moments yeah. that can, I think, really do um, make or break your goal yeah. or dream. Totally. So from day one, I was my only cheerleader. I was constantly telling myself, this is awesome. You're going to help people. You're not just doing this to make aprons. Everyone was like, oh, that's so cute. Good luck with your cute apron idea. You hear apron, you think of a grandma. You hear apron, you think of something little. 
And I was like, this has nothing to do with grandmas or being little. This is about empowering people in professional settings. And by the way, now the company's a direct-to-consumer brand. It's very different, but it started like that. But in my mind, it was always about the attitude I was delivering to people. And so when people shut it down, I just ignored it. I put on my kind of like a horse. <laughs> when they're like a racehorse, I put on my little blinders and I just kept going at it and I would ignore people on that stuff. And I was just working so hard focused on that. I didn't have time to listen to the noise. I wasn't wallowing in it because I needed to be in action. Mm -hmm. So that really helped me get through those first years. The other thing that I really leaned into was humble enthusiasm. So it's a chapter in the book and I talk about basically how I would approach people who didn't know who I was, didn't really care about what I was doing and how did I get people on board. I was always willing to share and willing to listen. So very excited when I was sharing. So it was like this urge to tell people something I'm doing. Like when you're talking to your best friend and you're telling them about your favorite new show that you saw. Like, oh my God, you have to see this. It's so good. I'm telling you, you need to drop everything, go home and watch this show. That's very different than you walking through a mall and getting hustled to buy a hair straightener, <laughs> right? Yeah. When they're like, wait, can I just straighten your hair? And you're like, ah, get away, get away, get away. You repel the person. And so I always thought about it as like, well, I'm going to make things for people. I'm going to make aprons for people because I'm going to help them. It's going to help them. It's going to make their restaurant look better. Their staff is going to look better. So I always thought about it as like a service function. Mm -hmm. And I was excited to share that. So when I would tell people about it, I would be like, oh my God, I just started this thing. It's so cool. We have so many fun colors. I have to show you. I think you'll really like it. And I'd love for you to tell me what your thoughts are. I'm still working on the design. So I want to know like, what do you think? What do you love? What do you hate? And that's the excited to learn part, right? So you're excited to share, excited to learn. And they're actually quite polar opposite because when you want to share something, sometimes you're not willing to listen to other people and hear the thoughts about maybe something that's not so perfect about your product. Mm. So I would sit with a chef and I'd tell him all the things that I'm working on. And then he'd be like, yeah, but you know what? I don't love those straps or like the pockets don't lay right. Maybe we like fix them or what if you add a strap over here? And they were basically my focus group. <laughs> Without realizing it, I had this free focus group of professional chefs that were Michelin star chefs. So that really helped open many doors and it took people from being pessimists about what I was doing to true believers. And when you get somebody to contribute to something, they have buy-in. Mm -hmm. So then they want to see you succeed. God, yeah, and it's infectious. Yeah. Like your spirit and energy girl is so infectious. It was infectious when I was watching your interviews on, you know, on as yeah. I was prepping for this episode, let alone being in front of you. And so it makes such a difference because the thing is, is like whether it's a business or it's just a dream that you have, yeah. if you don't believe it's possible, if you yeah. don't believe in that goal, in that dream of yeah. I want to achieve this, I want to do this, yes. then no one else is going to That's either. Right. And then when that happens, negativity comes. Yep. Everyone's warning you, right? It's yeah. not the like the the lift me up. It's all yeah. the warning. Oh, yeah. And then you start to buy into the warnings. That's right. That's right. And you can't. You just can't. You have to believe so deeply in this thing and that fire I talked about at the beginning. Mm -hmm. When you feel that fire, that is the thing. So what is it and how do you cultivate it? And you also have to recognize that the journey looks like this. <laughs> it's not a straight line. And so you maybe start with one thing over here and then it evolves and changes throughout the years. I'm sure in your own journey, mm -hmm. where you started and where you've come to, it's a very different place. 
but you had to begin to figure things out. You were on the road of doing, not the road of thinking about it. Yeah, so true. And I always say to myself, even like almost every day, well, who do I want to become? Yeah. Because that always gives me a projection of what I'm trying to achieve versus just sit down. And I've heard you say this about you get comfortable sometimes in your success. That's right. And making sure that you don't stay comfortable so you keep pushing yourself every time. Um, so actually one thing I'd love to talk about as we start to talk about, you know, taking action and not being paralyzed yep. to take action no matter what stage you are in your goal or your yep. dream. Um, I started to think about and break down and really think about your story of what are the things that really keep people from doing that. Yeah. And a big thing, which I love that you really focus on in your book is confidence. Yeah. Is everything we're talking about, facing your fears, you yep. know, um, sitting down with a Michelin chef and saying, hey, chef, tell me everything that's wrong with what I'm doing, right? Yeah. That takes freaking confidence to yeah. hear the yeah. negative and it not be self-destructive. Yeah. So talk to me about your um, confidence tool belt and um, let's start breaking down all the notches on yeah. what is on that tool belt. So it kind of begins with humble enthusiasm, right? So it's enthusiasm combined with humility, willingness to listen, right? And then the next thing is this willingness to listen leads you to places where you're out of your comfort zone. Mm. And guess what? Every single time I did something that was totally terrifying, whether it be move to Mexico, uh, go run the New York Marathon, show up at the back door of this two Michelin star restaurant and demand a job. Every single one of those times, I still landed it somehow. And sometimes I failed, but it was a notch on my confidence ball. And I think of confidence as like, I say, talk about in the book, it's a savings account Mm. and you're investing into it. Every time you do something scary, every time you land something that's a little terrifying, you actually just gave yourself that much more skill because you're like, damn, look, I just did that. I did that. (laughs) Nobody else. I made it happen. And so then you feel more comfortable the next time a crazy experience comes along Mm. and it's like, should I do it? Should I not do it? And you say, yes, I should do it because look at all these notches I have of experience and opportunity that I took and that I landed. And when I have failed, those are the places where I learn the most because they really are where you get to sit on the floor and stare at the thing that didn't land the way you thought it would land and you learn what to do the next time you do something. So you really, you can't have one without the other. And the confidence belt is built up of successes, but also of failures. Mm -hmm. And I know that when something horrible happens and I survive it, the next time something rough happens, I already know that I'm comfortable with being uncomfortable and that I'll get through that too. And you're just, we really are much stronger than we think we are. I mean, look at what just happened last year, COVID. We are still standing here in front of each other, very COVID tested, Yes, <laughs> to be clear. But we made it through that incredulous experience that who would have thought we could have gotten out of it. So we are more resilient than we think we are. And we can't forget that. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. 
But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. God, I love that. And um, the thing with COVID that really happened, I think it just, it shook everyone in so many ways because we all got, in the sense, comfortable with the way that we live our lives. Totally. And along comes something that really does shake up everyone's lives in so yeah. many different to ways. The core. Um, and then it becomes, how do we react to it? Yeah. Now, the, the, the thing that I love about, if I have to look at a positive thing that happened with COVID is yeah. it forced me to rethink things. It forced Same. me to assess my life. Yeah. It forced me to assess the way that I think now. That's right. Um, and keep being uncomfortable, which like you said, actually is the thing that drives me the most to grow every day. Yeah. And what ends up happening is sometimes, whether again, it's a business or other dreams that you have, you become complacent when you start to get it. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, all right, cool. This is success. This is what it looks like. Maybe I'll take a beat. And I really believe that when you get somewhere, you got to get to the next somewhere and always be evolving and always be learning. And that humble enthusiasm should never go away Mm -hmm. because you can learn something new from somebody every single day if you're willing to listen and ask questions and share and talk about it and collaborate. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's such an important part of the journey. And I think sometimes when people get really successful and they start to get complacent, they become a bit miserable. Mm Because it's all there. You're not having to deal with the daily challenges and obstacle climbing that you do when you haven't made it yet. But actually, the journey is so filled with joy because you accomplished something Mm -hmm. or because you got to do this one thing. You saw it in your head and then it came to life. 
Like, I believe everyone has the ability to do that. It's just, are you willing to show up and try? Okay, so did you use your confidence belt then when COVID hit? Because obviously, there are certain businesses that yeah. really took hits. Yeah. Restaurants, I mean, yes. oh my God. So here Ooh. you are. Yeah. You've done deals with Martha Stewart. You've done deals with Vans. You're any cooking show almost on television, all have your aprons and freaking COVID hits. And right. the part that is the biggest part of your business completely yeah. shuts down. Yeah. Yes. In a lot of situations, yeah. understandably, right? Understandably, a lot of situations, people just couldn't emotionally handle it. Again, yeah. understandably. Yeah. But you didn't. Yeah. Talk to me about how you shifted your mind, how you shift your purpose, because I think, again, your your enthusiasm going from one thing to another is exactly how you were able to make this yeah. shift. How did you do that emotionally? And then what were the steps you actually did? Yeah, it was the craziest thing we've ever done by a long shot. And I've told you a very wild life I've already had, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm 33 and I feel like I've lived 97 lives. Um, but when the shutdown happened in LA, which I think was like March 16th, March 17th, mm. something like that. We just had our anniversary recently. Yeah. And that day, all restaurants shut down. We're told you have to shut down your factory. We have a 16,000 square foot factory in downtown LA. You got to shut it down. All your team has to go home. And I went in to pack up everything with my staff and people were taking like, imagine walking out with like Mac desktops, right? They're like this yeah. big. People are carrying them to their cars. And I'm just looking at all this. I'm looking around our building. There's sewing machines. There's bolts of fabric, stacks of fabric. And I'm looking at basically nine year, eight and a half years of work, kind of feeling like it's being flushed down the toilet. And I was on Instagram for a minute and I'm scrolling through and I'm thinking like, what are we going to do? What's happening? And I see that Christian Siriano was like, you know, Governor Cuomo, you need you need face masks in New York because Cuomo was saying he needed face masks. Mm -hmm. He's like, I'll make you guys face masks. I'm like, he's a designer. He makes wedding dresses. He made my wedding dress. Like, what does this mean? You're going to go do that? I'm like, guys. And it took me from this feeling of shock and despair and kind of paralysis to action because I saw someone else being action oriented in a time of full blown crisis. Mm. And so many people, so many more people were paralyzed than not, mm. that it was a ray of hope to me. And I was like, if he can do it and he's a designer and I have an entire factory in LA, I can do this too. So I wrangled my team. I brought him in, into the building and long story short, I said, guys, we are pivoting our entire operation to make face masks because we need to do this for our community. There's a shortage. We have the material, we have the sewing machines, we have the know-how. We can't just go home and stick our heads in the sand. Like we gotta do something about this. And it made me feel that fire, that enthusiasm, that same sort of like, chef, I can do it feeling yeah. all over again. I had never made a face mask. I had no idea what we were doing. And within 24 hours, we made this pivot. And I called a doctor who was a friend of mine and over FaceTime, I was like, what do you need? What do you love? What do you hate? What's wrong with your face mask? How do we make them better? And with that same Headley and Bennett approach of like form and function, we developed this mask and we did it through a buy one, donate one model. So for every mask we sold, we donated one. So not only had we stood up this entirely new supply chain within 24 hours, we were able to donate hundreds of thousands of masks to everyone from frontline workers, to hospital workers, to doctors, to nurses. But because of that pivot, we were able to keep so many people employed. 
Over a thousand people on our supply chain were able to stay employed from other vendors because they were helping us source material, straps, fabric, everything you needed, sewing machines, et cetera. And it's just another bigger version of everything I've just explained to you. Even when people might look at us and say, oh, Headley and Bennett, they've made it. They're successful. Mm -hmm. Every day you have to wake up and know that nothing is just there. You have to create it and make it and be willing to shift when things happen and your playbook goes flying out the window when a global pandemic happens. So that was the story of our face mask. I love that. And there's a couple of things that I really want to like um, pinpoint on what yeah. you said is just to make it clear to everyone, this was like within 24 hours. Yes, 24 hours. It was hours. like actually 24 from hours. Idea, yes. From idea to actual execution. Most people are like, you're crazy, that's not possible. You just proved it. And that's another thing. I know a lot of people still talk about the why and yeah. their purpose. Yeah. Um, in your story, in mot multiple shifts that you've made, that has almost seemed like the most important thing for you, having that why. Yeah, no, it's really important because I'm just going to say it. The shit storms are so real. Mm -hmm. They're so aggressive and so frequent in growing something out of nothing that if you don't truly believe in it, you don't have enough energy to fight through that storm. Mm. And so you have to love that thing or believe in it so deeply that no matter what is hitting your face that day, you're going to get up the next day bleeding and all, or should I say dry blood and all, <laughs> and you get up and you try again. And that takes deep belief to do that. Yeah, I think one of your quotes was something like, um, if you want to do something, you have to fail and fall smack on your face and then get back up and keep yeah, going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I used to always say like, mm, that was a hockey stick to the face because that's how it feels. And that's not exclusive to me or to you. It's basically anyone trying is going to do that. But it's really how do you experience that feeling? And then you kind of have to go to bed and shake yourself off and get up the next day. And sometimes it's harder than other days. And sometimes those failures feel so big. But I, I actually have tried to not even use the word failure anymore. I just think about it as like, it's an opportunity. It's something that I learned from. Mm -hmm. It's, it's something that took me from here to here. And it's a windy journey and you just have to be willing to know that it's windy and that you're not failing because it's going like this. Mm. It's actually just the road that you're on. Mm -hmm. Okay, I love that. Um, <laughs> I've got so many questions to ask you, girl. So um, one thing I really want to know is, and I, I hear this on social a lot, so I kind of yeah. wanted to dive a little deeper. Did yeah, you tell ever me. have imposter syndrome? Mm, yeah, that word is definitely, it's almost like a buzzword. It is 100% a buzzword. Everyone word. asks about it. And the same thing is like, I'm kind of sometimes torn because sometimes yeah. I'm just like, imposter isn't really a nice word. I agree. But it's like, you know, the kind of fake it till you make it type yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, you're still very young. Yeah. And, you know, here you are doing business with like Martha freaking Stewart. <laughs> so like actually even just take me to those situations yeah. where, again, is it just you just, you're that audacious girl and you're like, yeah, motherfucker, I'm going to be working <laughs> with Martha Stewart and just watch me. Yeah. Or is it like, holy shit, it's Martha freaking Stewart. Like, I just need to <laughs> pretend that I'm really chilled, but really I'm like shitting myself inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I realized pretty early on that it was much harder for me to act like somebody else. Mm. And so I really leaned into who I was. And I think if you feel an imposter syndrome, you're trying to be somebody that you're not. But if you just lean into you or I lean into me and say, what is the special sauce that I bring to this world? Okay, well, it's my willingness to show, to show up. It's my willingness to talk to people. 
my enthusiasm, my uh, willingness to fail and get back up, right? All those things make me who I am. Mm -hmm. And when I've walked into these conversations, I've recognized that's why they're talking to me. So why walk in and try to be like Bill Gates or S Simon Sinek? Like those are other people. Be you. And that has really helped me not feel weird or uncomfortable, especially when I'm talking to people that are extraordinarily successful, serious businessmen or businesswomen. I'm not trying to be like that person. Mm. I'm going to walk in and be 100% myself. And they're going to appreciate that because I'm not trying to act like somebody that I'm not. So there's an authenticity to it and there's a reality that they appreciate. People just want people to be real. Yeah. That's the bottom line. I love that. And what's really interesting is, so when you're going into these meetings and you're you know, trying yeah. to do these deals and things, it's like be yourself. I love yeah. the right list of your strengths so you can go into that meeting or in that, yeah. into that situation with a reminder of what you bring to the table, which is yeah. so freaking powerful yep. because I used to do the complete opposite. I would go into meetings and all the things that I was really bad at, those yeah. were the things that were like at the top of my mind. So, like, oh. oh my God, Lisa, you're bad at that. Oh my God, I hope they don't mention this because you have no idea. Right? Like, and, and it's like, what's happening is I'm like, convincing myself I shouldn't be there. Totally. And guess who made that table? You did. <laughs> so you better sit your ass down at the table that you built and own it. And I had to convince myself a few times along the way when people would come to our factory, they'd be like, where's the owner? Because, you know, I would walk out. And I'd be like, I'm right here. What can I do for you? And you just got to own that. It just, it is what it is. And you know what? The more people that show up that are different, the more normalized you're helping. And every time I show up and talk to somebody different, if someone out there is listening and they're like, wait, this is a Mexican-American girl that started her business with $300? Maybe I can do it. Maybe I will be a ray of light to somebody else and convince them to take that leap. I love that about leaning into your strengths, yeah. you know, um, not letting the weakness overcome you. So when you're doing these deals, you're reminded of why you're there. Yeah. What about though, when you need to actually though assess your weaknesses. So where do you find those, those things of now's the time to lean into my strengths yeah. and not let my weaknesses break me. And now's the time to actually lean into my weaknesses yeah. and not pat myself on the back for all the strengths that I have. Such a good question and so important. I would say the first half of my journey was dream first. Mm -hmm. The second half has been details later. And I have had to lean so hard into the details. And guess what side I'm better at? The dream first. <laughs> I'm really good at walking into doors, even though I have no idea what I'm doing. So the details have been so painful mm. to figure out and lean into because it wasn't my core strength. I didn't have an MBA. I didn't have experience with a schooling that was appropriate to business in that fashion. And what I've ended up doing is hiring leadership coaches. I have a really incredible team around me that is very honest with me. And we have very candid conversations and we have a, we have values for our business that are focused around no ego. Mm. And so if you have no ego, then you're willing to learn and you're not claiming you know everything. Therefore, you can listen if someone's telling you this is not working, let's do it differently. And a constant sort of rolling window of feedback. And so people give me feedback that's really hard to hear. And I've found uh, through the years that there's parts of the business that I really was almost ignoring. I wasn't taking care of and I wasn't leaning into. So there's a chapter in my book called, you gotta get off the bike to fix the bike. 
right? You can't be on there and be like <laughs> with, a, with a hammer just trying to like fix the tire, you punch yeah. a hole in it. And so I have had to get off the bike multiple times because tires are flat, things fall off, the chain rips off on a tree you're running by. And it's so brutal, but it is again where I learn the most. And I do that much more now than I do the dream first part. And I have to balance it, right? Because you can't just always be in the details. You can't always be in the dreams. Mm -hmm. But it's part of the journey. A hundred percent. And you even said, because I actually, it's funny. I use the phrase as well. There's no ego here. Yeah. And the truth is, as you said it, I'm like, it's not that there's no ego. It's that you can't allow it to enter. Yeah. So how do you not allow it to enter? Because like you said, you've done, you've been doing all this on your own. And I think as women in general, just not even yeah. in business, just in general, yeah. we like to, we take things on ourselves, right? We take totally. all the responsibility. I'm going to do for all better this, or for worse, for better, right? We run ourselves into the ground. We take <laughs> yeah. care of our friends. We take care of our family, yeah. potentially the kids, the business, the husband, yeah. the partner, totally. whatever it is. And we do that so much. And yet we don't allow ourselves time to actually think of ourselves. Even having the mindset of the identity of I do things myself. And again, like I said, I think women do that as well. Yeah. They take care of everyone, everyone else. Totally. And they say, like, I'm my ego is I take care of everyone. Yeah. Yeah, but, that's very true. But how do you then put that aside? Because when when it ends up being better for the company, better for your family, yeah. better for you, you need to put the ego aside. But yeah. how do you actually do that when you build an identity that is so tied to it? Yeah. It's it's been a really tough learning curve for me that's taken many years mm -hmm. and honestly many painful failures uh, that I felt at that time were failures but I really look back at it and I'm grateful that they happened because mm -hmm. if I hadn't felt those feelings I wouldn't have gotten to a place where I said you know what this can no longer be the way you do it there's got to be a better way mm -hmm. and only you can decide that it's it's like you know an addiction almost you're you're committed to a certain way, but then you see your entire life failing around you, right. you have to wake up and say, this is not working. What else can you do instead? And that decision is what then leads to the action. So just how I decided to start a business, I decided to do this, I decided to work with Martha, I decided to do that. I had to decide to truly change and to go down the path, which was has been very bumpy of figuring out how do I get better at this? How do I allow people to help me? How do I allow uh, team members to take pieces off my plate and own finance and mm -hmm. own ops and own production and own things that I used to do the jobs for? And that's that's hard. Right. Because you're letting go. You're like, this is my left leg that I built. Let me give you my left leg and trust that you're going to build it even better. But if you find people that are no ego, willing to learn, willing to listen, all these things that I've been talking about, you find your people and then you realize, oh, wow, look it, they did it better than I could. Mm -hmm. Notch on their confidence belt for me. And then I give them more and then they did it again. And then I start to be more comfortable with this uncomfortable feeling of sharing responsibility. Ah, oh, but I love that. Because when we first started Quest, I was like, so she's shipping a couple of bars from my living room floor. Yeah, no, you know, <laughs> totally. I'll help out my husband. And then before I knew we had, you know, we were shipping so many bars out. I personally, within two years, I had 10,000 square feet of just shipping space Crazy. and 40 employees underneath me, you know, with manufacturing and shipping, it's yeah. just insane. And so I, 
you know, had all that and I was miserable. I freaking hated chipping. I didn't want to be in a hairnet my whole life. I did not want to be hand making protein bars. My goal was to be yeah. movies. Yeah. And I was standing there going, I was so proud of what I had built. Yeah. But I looked around, and I was like, this isn't the life that I had planned to. Yeah. But I couldn't let go because of my ego. Mm. So I, I literally spent another year doing something I didn't want to do yeah. because I'd built the self-esteem and ego around this was mine. Yeah. I built it. Yep. And it wasn't until I ended up having to sit with myself and say, what life do I want? And here's actually another thing. I was getting accolades and pats on the back mm. for the department that I had built. Mm. So now my ego yeah. wasn't just associated with my own self-esteem of look what I built. It was associated with the accolades I was getting from mm. the outside. Hmm. And so now here wow. I was not wanting to let go of something that was inherently making me unhappy wow. because of my ego that was saying, but you built this, Lisa. But mm. people think it's amazing, Lisa. Who are you going to be without this, Lisa? Oh, God. So um, did you have to mourn at all? Like letting go? Of oh, yeah. So much mourning. Because every time I hired somebody that was really brilliant and super smart, it was to take on a piece mm -hmm. that I needed help with. And I had to be willing to say, someone else can run our finances. A CFO can run finances better than I can. A head of finance can do it differently. A head of ops can do it differently. And I would have to recognize the things that I wasn't good at mm. in order to say, yes, you can come help us now. So every time that's happened, it's been like a chunk that I've said, here, take this piece. But even in recognizing hard. it, though, yeah. you were definitely the sort of person that if there's something you're not good at, you would just figure it out. Yeah. So in recognizing it, how did you tell yourself, but I shouldn't be doing this? So we just got to a place in the company. It's similar to you standing there in a hairnet, like building these, you know, bars. There, there's so many things that you're great at that are s special to you. That didn't sound like it was directly connected with your special sauce. Correct. So I had to identify well, what are the things that you make you you, mm -hmm. and you got to lean into that. And I'm not. Uh, you could call it not a conventional CEO, right? I'm not someone who's the operator. I actually have a lot of people around me that operate the business. And I also had to be okay with that and walking into a room and saying, yeah, like, yes, I am a CEO. And yes, I am wearing blue clogs and a straw hat <laughs> and a jumpsuit because I'm pregnant right yeah, now and I girl. don't fit in any clothes. <laughs> that is who I am as a founder and as the CEO of Headley and Bennett. And that's okay because that's who I am. Oh, uh. Mic drop. <laughs> there it is. Where can people find you? Where can people find the book and just like all the amazing face masks that you're making and yes. all that good stuff? People can find us at headleyandbennett.com. You can get a signed copy of the book there. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Ellen Marie Bennett and Headley and Bennett and TikTok, which we are very passionate about. And we literally just figured it out and we love it. It's so weird and wild in there. But follow us on TikTok too at Headley and Bennett. So I, I'm big on just communicating with our audience and talking to people. So if you hear this, send me a message and I will say hi back. That's awesome. Guys, 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 go check out her book. It is freaking awesome. If you do Audible like me, she reads it herself and she's so fun. She's got just as much energy as she has today. So go check it out. And if you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And guys, if you're not subscribed, what are you doing? Click the subscribe button down there. And until next time, be the hero of your own life. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs>